What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Compile Swift podcast. I'm your host, Peter Widom. You can find this podcast at compileswift.com, along with all of the archives, every episode that's ever been released. So go binge listen. In this episode, yep, it's that time of year. We have at least the first final drop from the new OSs from Apple. iOS 16 dropped as of Monday, September the 12th. I have yet to install it. I like to just wait and see how it goes for everybody else first. Just kind of playing cautious, partly because I can't do what I normally do every year, which is I upgrade my iPad first. I try that out, go with it, let that bake in for a couple of days, and then I do my iPhone. But because of the staggered releases this year from Apple, I can't do that because the first one out the door is iOS 16. I'm sure it's fine, but I like to just wait and see what everybody else experiences first, because as a remote worker, I just rely on my iPhone way too much to have to deal with any potential problems. Although it does get harder, of course, by the hour, because I really want that new home screen. Not the home screen, sorry, the lock screen. I really want that on my phone just because it looks great. But anyway, that's where I'm at. Let me know. Reach out to me at CompileSwift on all the networks. Let me know how it's going for you with iOS 16. I'm very curious. We also got Xcode 14 final version. It is available in the store, although I couldn't download it from the store because for some reason I couldn't acknowledge the new terms and conditions in the App Store. Maybe it's working now. It certainly wasn't working for me earlier in the day. But I just went ahead and grabbed Xcode 14 final from the developer portal and did it that way. Makes a lot more sense to do it that way. That's usually the way I do it, or I use the Xcodes app. That's Xcodes with an S on the end. It's an app on GitHub. I'll put a link in the show notes because it's just a lot more easier and reliable than doing it in the store. But I just thought it was a weird quirk in the store that I couldn't accept the terms and conditions. It basically came up and said, there's a problem. Please try again later. We'll see how that goes. So that's where we're at with that. Originally, I was going to talk about all the new hardware, but I'm sure you all know about it by now. So I'm not going to bother wasting your time with it. I will say that I'm not sure that there's anything this year for me other than it is a year for me to update my iPhone. I've got the iPhone 12 Pro Max. I still love it to death. Honestly, I really... Don't feel there's too much in the new stuff for me. As you all know, ex-professional photographer, I got plenty of cameras that are frankly still better than the iPhone just because of the glass in front of them, the lenses. But that's not to take it away and say that it's a terrible camera. Oh my gosh, no, it is not. It is fantastic. But I'm not one of those I must rush out and get one because of the new cameras. I will say, though, that I think the shining thing this year is that new dynamic island that the world just seems obsessed to be talking about, which, of course, is exactly the way Apple wants it. I think that is just a gorgeously brilliant design and well-thought-out way to take advantage of something that they essentially had to have in the hardware and bridge that gap between the hardware and software and make it look seamless, even though, of course, it's really just uh, extending the blacks, taking advantage of the black on the screen around the hardware black of the sensors. But either way, beautifully done. I think it's brilliant. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes, but I really hope 
it doesn't get abused like notifications. And that was something I say every time. Apple, you need to clamp down on these, this notification abuse because it's getting ridiculous. And at this point, I think I have more notifications turned off than I actually have turned on because they just drive me crazy for all of the pushed advertising and everything else that really is not what it was intended for. And for that matter, and sometimes even Apple's a bit guilty of this. You've only got to look into the settings app on the iPhone and things like that, where they really constantly try to push their services on you. And I think that they should hold themselves accountable to their own rules as much as anyone else, because otherwise it just makes a mockery of the whole thing. Anyway, that's it. If I was to get one, I would get the iPhone 14 Pro. Maybe not the Max. I love the Max. It's great to have that gorgeously big screen, but I'm wondering if it's time for me to try a smaller phone again, just because I have the iPad and I'm always in front of a laptop and everything else. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. But either way, it would be the Pro to take advantage of that very interesting dynamic island set up there. And also because being a developer, you want to have these things so that you can test your stuff against them and see how well it works and make sure that it works. So that's that. For Apple users, I have something special today. I'm going to tell you about the Mac Geek Gab podcast. This show is in its 17th year, and I have been a listener for a very long time. On this show, you can find out about cool stuff found, there's answers to your questions, and anything else Apple-related. Yep, that's right. Hosts Dave Hamilton and John F. Bourne take time each week to actually provide technical support to as many listeners as possible while learning at least five new things weekly themselves. The great part is that they always make sure each answer has actionable tips with easy instructions for listeners, too. For example, did you know you can turn on Do Not Disturb mode on your iPhone by swiping down into Control Center and simply tapping that little moon icon in the Focus section? Have you ever thought about saving PDFs or even scans of all your user manuals so you don't have to go searching online for one in five years when you need it? I think that's a great tip, and it's something I do with all of my documents. Here's another great one with an iPhone and phone calls. Did you know that you can press and hold the mute button during a phone call to put that call on hold? I didn't know that one. If you use an iPhone, a Mac, an iPad, an Apple Watch, an Apple TV, or simply a technology enthusiast, you're going to love learning more about your technology with your two favorite geeks over at MacGeekGab. Get your questions answered and have some fun along the way. Visit MacGeekGab.com or search for MacGeekGab on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't get caught without having a MacGeekGab in your rotation. And the last topic that I want to bring up in this particular episode is something I've been thinking about recently as I've started to plan, I'm sure like many of you, upgrading my base OS on my Mac and for that matter, any platform. And that is how I deal with constantly updating developer tools, including not only the actual IDEs and those kind of creation tools, but also things like third-party libraries and all the space this takes up on your hard drives and the constant need to be updating them, managing them, maintaining them, and also sometimes the problems that can bring 
with doing that, right? It's very easy to install an, a new version of a tool or a new version of a third-party library and it breaks something somewhere else in your system. And now you've got a problem because you've got to solve this and you also use your, your computer for other things, right? For whatever it may be, social media, watching media, video, TV, whatever, listening to music, all these other the everyday tasks. And all of this can suffer when you have a problem with the tool. You may end up, like I did one time, where your machine won't boot and you're just faced with, I got to fix this because I got no choice. So something that I've been looking into and considering is having my development tools run inside some kind of virtual machine. Now, of course, there's so many different ways you can do that now and so many options that I'm not really going to dive into the specifics of those options because I think that's very much a personal choice. Or sometimes it may be that if you're working for a company, they'll tell you you've got to do something this particular way. So, right, just to cover some of the options, there are virtual machines like, for example, Parallels for Mac is one that I use. But of course, you can even spin up virtual machines now thanks to Apple. They have plenty of information out there as to how you can do that. Another way, of course, is running things in, like in containers, like Docker, of course, is another popular one. So you've got lots of options, and I'm starting to think about those. And there are a few reasons that I think it's worth considering, certainly in my case. And I would love your feedback and suggestions and thoughts on this. Again, go to Compile Swift on any of the social networks or CompileSwift.com, for that matter, and share your thoughts with me. But here's some things that I've been considering, and I want to put them out there for anyone who may be considering the same. It keeps my OS clean and what I call my everyday apps, the things not related to development. This can often result in less conflicts and faster running machines for things like video and podcasting recording, which of course are important to me. It also helps to not have to install updates a few times a week, like third-party packages, as I've mentioned, and command line tools. And sometimes those can fail. Well, if you've got it in a virtual machine or some kind of container isolated from your host OS, you've isolated, you've almost sandboxed the problem. And you can either choose to go back and fix it then or come back to it. Or you can also spin up like I do. I keep a fresh copy of OSs in various virtual machines and I just clone them and start again. I don't have to reinstall the OS. I just clone the operating, the container or whatever it may be spin it up and start installing tools again. And this is just a great way to keep all of that contained. And when you have a problem, a lot of the time it can be just a case of deleting this very large file for the virtual machine or container, whatever it is, and starting over. And that is a lot quicker than having to nuke and pave your machine and install everything that way. Even with a script that I use now, even with a script, that still takes a while and you have downtime. Whereas with a virtual machine, you can essentially spin it up in sometimes just minutes and start again, right? So it does provide me a sandbox that I can experiment with to my heart's content without the fear of breaking the machine. One of the pluses for me is when it comes to using virtual machines is the ability to create, like I say, a new instance on the fly with very little effort whenever I need it. And that is something that I'm very thankful for. Backing them up is another thing. A lot of the time, it can be a case of 
either you don't have to back them up because you've got these containers stored off in the cloud somewhere and you just need to bring them down again. Or it could just be, as I say, one huge file that you just clone to an external drive or network storage, cloud storage, or you actually can run it from there. And again, in that case, you don't have to worry about this too much. With the amazing power that we have in all of these modern computers, running a virtual machine is not like it used to be, right? It no longer feels like it slows down the host machine and drags the whole system down. For a while, I've been running both a Windows and a Linux virtual machine on the same my M1 Mac here, my Macs or whatever it's called. And on one screen, I have the, I guess you could call it guest operating system running in a container, full screen. And then on the other screen, I have the host, the Mac, running too. And I swear, I can't tell the difference, right? When running ARM-based Windows and ARM-based Linux in these virtual machines on my Mac, they feel native to me. They feel like native speed. They've got all the resources they need and everything else. And I'm willing to bet if I didn't tell anybody and put the laptop in front of them, they probably wouldn't even notice or be aware that there was this was essentially sitting on top of another operating system. So that's something else to think about as well. We have all the power to do this now. As long as you have enough memory, which is always a key thing. And as a developer, we like to crank up on the amount of memory in our machines. So it shouldn't really be a problem for us. Another good reason for considering running development tools this way is security, right? Let's say, and we've seen, unfortunately, more and more of this in developer news. Let's say you need to spin up a local server and you don't want to expose this to the outside world and potentially expose your host machine because of some bug or some exploit and someone finds a way in through this guest server that's running and next thing they're running rampant in your host system and doing all sorts of bad things well if you sandbox these things in virtual machines or containers and you keep them locked down you haven't eliminated the risk but you've certainly greatly reduced the opportunity for the for this to happen and by by having these sandboxes in effect if something bad happens, you can just shut it down. And like I say, you could even just delete it and start over again. That's another good reason right there. And the other part of that too is, like I say, if something from a security standpoint, something happens and it turns out that maybe you messed something up and you're like, oh, I don't have time to deal with this now. Shut it down. Just shut it down. Problem goes away. And you, your host operating system is hopefully safe and secure and you're good to go. That is a really good reason these days with a lot of these exploits. In fact, literally, I think like 30 minutes before I recorded this podcast, I installed a, what I think was a zero-day exploit on macOS here to patch that. So you can even run macOS very easily now in virtual operating systems, whatever your flavor of choice is there. So it's something to consider. And then lastly, you can test your code and applications inside these virtual machines without rebooting. And now, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal because machines reboot pretty fast these days. But as we know, as developers, even like spinning up simulators, let's just say, for example, the iOS simulator, these things all take time. And if you have to do it multiple times a day, 
can get irritating real fast. And you're probably spending more time than you realize doing that. So great. With virtual machines, you can spin them up and down really quickly, again, because of the power of our computers. So take advantage of that. Right? Spin them up and down as you need them. No rebooting, no laying out all your windows again. And we all do this, or at least I think most of us do. We have layouts for all of our tools and windows across multiple monitors and or positions on a huge monitor, things like that. And we hate rebooting to have to fix all that up again. Run a virtual machine. Problem solved. Something to think about there. So I just wanted to put those out there in this episode. I know it went on a little bit, but I felt like this was an important topic to put out and discuss my thoughts and where I'm at on it, and hopefully to spark some conversations with you all, or to, uh, at the very least, have you think about it too. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If this has been helpful, great. Let me know. Leave a review, a rating, reach out to me on any of the networks, go to compileswift.com. Love to hear from you. Love to have conversations with you all. This is often, we have a lot of conversations like this on the live stream and in our Discord, and you can find all of those links over on compileswift.com. If you want to go that extra step, and I greatly appreciate it if you want to, you can buy me a coffee. You can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash PWCOM, and I would greatly appreciate that. And just in case you're not aware, if you go to patreon.com forward slash compileswift, you can get all of these podcast episodes, the entire set of archives to download and listen advert free. If that's something that interests you, all of the money that comes from that and everything else goes right back into trying to hopefully make the best content I can for you all. And I hope that helps improve things over time. Let me know if you don't think it does or if you think it does. Again, I'd love to just hear feedback from you all. Can I leave it there? I'll speak to you in the next one.